Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this Saturday, all day and night, as both the Nationals and D.C. United are at home. Nationals Marlins at 4 p.m., D.C. United versus Real Salt Lake at 6 p.m. Register ahead of time at waltersdc.com slash events for a free drink. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, five infielders. Here's the set. The kick in. Harvey's pitch. Swing and a ground ball to short. Abrams has it. He throws home. They get one throw to first. Off the glove of Chavis. It rolls away. The runner's breaking for the plate. He scores. But will they call the interference on the runner? Davey Martinez is out of the dugout screaming for it. This happened here in the World Series against the Nationals, and it does not look like they're gonna get the call. It's the worst rule in baseball, but if it's in there, and Chavis couldn't catch it reaching into the runner, that's interference on the runner. The Astros are celebrating a win. Chavis had to reach into the runner, and again, runner gets rewarded for a throw that's not good into the runner. It's unbelievable. They're not going to call it. Davey Martinez is going to chase him down the, the walkway. He is livid. Unbelievable that it happens here of all places. They don't get the call either way. They didn't get the call in the World Series. They don't get the call tonight. And on the air, they lose the game. Take a good look at it. Is that on the line? I don't think so. I'm over this play. Seriously. They need to fix the rule. If this is what the umpires see, that he's running down the line, tired of it. Tired of it. Fix it. We lost the game and he had nothing to say about it because he can't make the right call. Brutal. Brutal. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 15th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Minute Maid Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Trey Turner has not played for the Nats in two years, and yet the Trey Turner play continues to haunt the Nats. First pitch to Turner, and a full swing and a dribbler up the third base side. This is going to be a tough chance. Peacock hurries his throw, and the ball gets away. The ball threw Gurriel down the right field line. Gomes is going to head for third and Turner to second as Gurriel's glove got knocked off, and they're going to call Turner out for being out of the baseline. Oh, my. So instead of second and third, they're going to send Gomes back to first, and Turner is out for being out of the baseline. In a series in which there has been so much reminiscing about the 2019 World Series, we on Wednesday night incredibly got a surreal callback to one of the most famous plays from that World Series. Martinez is steaming, pointing up the line, saying this is where Turner was running, right down the line. 
every time the Trey Turner play happens with the Nats, they are on the short end of the stick, and uh, that sure happened on Wednesday night. The Nats lost on Wednesday night, a 5-4 walk-off loss at the Houston Astros in Game 2 of a three-game series. And in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-1 ninth-inning deficit, the Nats are sinking. They now have lost 11 of their last 14 games, now are 26-40, and second-worst record in the National League. But the Nats on Wednesday night, done dirty by their bullpen and done dirty by the Trey Turner play. It is good to have you with us. Uh, we want to let you know that our upcoming Father's Day installment of the podcast will be brought to you by Our Stomping Ground. Visit ourstompingground.org slash Nats. But Mark, the, the Trey Turner play, this freaking thing, how does this keep happening? How, how did this happen in this ballpark to this team with the game on the line? If I had pitched you that idea before the start of the day, that that's how this game would end. You would have thought that's ludicrous. There's no way that same thing could happen to the Nationals in Houston and that it would go against them again. And somehow it did. And while the stakes weren't anywhere near as high as they were on that famous night in 2019, this was the only one that actually cost them a game that decided the game for them. And I think that's the craziest and probably most frustrating part of it. We can go into all the details of what exactly happened and what should have been called or what didn't get called. But just if you can take a step back and just consider that that actually happened in the bottom of the ninth with the game on the line in Houston. I don't think anybody could have actually seriously envisioned that that would happen in this scenario in this ballpark again. It's amazing that it keeps happening, and the result ended up being an all-time classic post-game rant by Davey Martinez. We'll get to that, but here we had what happened in the bottom of the ninth off what happened in the top of the ninth. I mean, again, the Nats rallied, came from down 4-1 in the top of the ninth with a three-run rally, tied the game at four. Then Hunter Harvey came into the game. He ultimately, in the bottom of the ninth, allowed an unearned run and recorded two outs gave up a leadoff single by Kyle Tucker to center field, then gave up an infield single by Jose Abreu on a slow-developing grounder to C.J. Abrams toward third base off Abrams having moved to cover second base. Harvey then struck out Yanier Diaz on four pitches, but then Tucker stole third base without a throw, and Harvey issued a four-pitch, one-out walk of Corey Jolks to load the bases. So bases loaded, one out, game tied at four, and then came this bizarro whacked out end of the game. Harvey induced a grounder off the bat of Jake Myers to C.J. Abrams. Abrams fired home, got the force out, but then Cape Bear Ruiz's throw to first base went off the batting helmet of Jake Myers and or the glove of first baseman Michael Chavis into right field, allowing Abreu to score the walk-off run on what officially went down as a throwing error by Cape Bear Ruiz. Davey Martinez came out to argue that Myers was guilty of interference, was guilty of the Trey Turner play, but no interference was called. The play was not reviewable. Now, in the past, when this play has come up, we've talked about how it's almost like a nonsense rule, but the rule was applied correctly. It feels like in this case, the rule was not applied correctly. And Davey, in fact, had photographic evidence to you and everyone else after the game during the postgame session that the rule was not applied correctly. Before we get to that, let's just also point out that the final play of the game occurred with a five-man infield. 
Davey brings in Ildemaro Vargas, who had just moved to right field to begin the inning, brings him in to be an extra infielder. He now has two outfielders. You've got all the guys lined up, all of them playing in. I've seen this happen every once in a while. I don't think I've ever actually seen it work. And it worked. It went exactly the way you would hope it would. A sharp ground ball. You get the out at the plate, and then you're about to turn the double play. It's supposed to be a 6-2-3 double play that's going to force extra innings. So the bizarre part of that all is it seemed like they executed everything to perfection. Now, Cabot Ruiz took blame and said that it was a bad throw, that he should have kept it more on the fair side of first base, that it tailed on him a little bit. Was it a perfect throw? No, I don't think it was a bad throw, though. And Michael Chavis had no problem with it. He complimented Cabert for playing it perfectly. Davey had no issue with the throw. I think Cabert's being a little hard on himself on that one. You could also make the argument that maybe he should just take the out and not even attempt the throw because the bases would still be loaded with two outs, Martin Maldonado coming up to the plate. I think it was worth the risk because I think the throw was going to beat him. It was close, but I think it was going to beat him. And for those who don't remember, here's the two parts to the rule on obstruction. Number one, the batter runner has to be in fair territory outside of the designated running lane. Myers was clearly in fair territory, pretty much exactly where Trey Turner was, if not even more so in fair territory. And he's kind of slowly moving back towards first base, but in fair territory the entire time. That's part one of the rule. The second part of the rule, of course, and this is the judgment part of it, is that in being outside the baseline, the umpire has to determine that he did obstruct with the first baseman's ability to catch the throw. Now, it looked to me like he did obstruct with it. Remember, the whole question of the Trey Turner playback in the World Series was, well, he would have been safe anyways. He was already going to be at first base even past it when it happened. This was close to that, but looked like it was maybe a step before he got, a split second before he got to first. It certainly wasn't clear that he was going to be safe or out either way. The biggest problem, I think, in this one was the following. The home plate umpire, Jeremy Riggs, he's the only one who can make the call. First base umpire not allowed to make the call that happens in front of the base. So it's up to the home plate umpire to see the obstruction point and rule it, and he did not. Why didn't he? Possibly because he's watching the play at the plate right before that. He has to call if the runner is out at the plate. So how can he both see the batter runner and the play at the plate at the same time? So I can understand why maybe he didn't see it. But here's ultimately Davey Martinez's problem with it all. I mean, he's mad at the umpire to be sure, and his sound bites make that clear. I can't do nothing about those umpires. I really can't. Like I said, they need to take a look at that. But I think even more than that, and he's made this case over and over for the last three and a half years. Why is that play not reviewable? If you stop and watch it on video, as we all did after the fact, it's pretty clear what happened. To ask one umpire, not allow any of the others to make that call, to ask the one umpire to see that and apply the rule is a lot to ask of him, especially on a play like that. So I think his biggest frustration is not even just with the individual umpires, but with the rule as it's written, the fact it's a judgment call, and the fact that it cannot be reviewed. What is so crazy is that So this happened twice with Trey Turner. This happened in World Series Game 6, 2019. This also then happened in the 2021 season, May 19th, 2021, a 4-3 Nats win at the Chicago Cubs. And as you may recall, 
Davey went nuts in that game. He came out to argue, was immediately ejected for walking onto the field. He then got his money's worth. That was a game in which he ripped first base out of the ground, spiked first base, kicked first base. It was great. And then this actually happened with Josh Bell in September 2021, an 8-7, 10-inning loss at the Miami Marlins. So if you're keeping track, this is at least the fourth time that this has happened. And each time the play has gone against the Nats in one form or another. It is ridiculous that this keeps happening. Now, I think it's worth pointing out, this was another fail by the Nats bullpen. Hunter Harvey came into this game in a tough spot, game tied at four, right, on the road facing a good team in the Astros, and didn't get the job done, okay? Now, it's not like he got whacked all around the ballpark, but I feel like that kind of gets lost in all of this, that Hunter Harvey was brought into this spot here off our conversation on the last show about, hey, how come David didn't go to Harvey or Finnegan? You know, Harvey didn't get the job done. He issued a walk. He gave up a couple of hits. He only got two outs. The Nats ended up losing this game. But yeah, to lose it on a play like that, off the great comeback too, it's a killer to see something like that. And I don't blame Davey for being ticked off. It is ridiculous that this keeps happening. And there seems to be like a lack of common sense with this rule that just never seemingly is applied. Right. And I think that's, again, part of his problem is the inconsistency in it. Like you said, every call has gone against the Nationals, but it's not like every call has been obstruction or not obstruction. When it's the Nationals guy running down the line, he's called for obstruction. When it's not the Nationals guy running down the line, he's not called for obstruction. So I think that is also very much on Davey's mind. And yeah, in this case, I think he's felt especially annoyed because of the way that his team rallied in the top of the ninth to tie the game, although there was an opportunity for them to take the lead and they squandered that. I'm sure we'll get to that. And yeah, there were things in the bottom of the ninth that never had to let it get to that point. I, I don't think Harvey, I don't think it was that bad. You know, one of them was that little infield single like we talked about. I think the stolen base, uncontested stolen base in the ninth inning which I feel like we're seeing happen way too often, was big. That maybe then threw him off a little bit to the point that he issued that four-pitch walk to put himself in a spot where the bases are loaded. So yeah, none of that's good. And yet, I do want to give him some credit because in a spot where pretty much only two things you can do as a pitcher to get out of that, you either get a strikeout or you get a sharp ground ball to the five-man infield, and he got the ground ball. So like he did his job. I know it wasn't a clean inning by any stretch of the imagination, But, you know, I don't want to put all of this on Hunter Harvey because I feel like there was one solid single and then, you know, a four-pitch walk in the inning, but that, you know, for the most part, he executed when he needed to in that inning. Yeah, I just, I mean, you shouldn't have had the bases loaded like that. I mean, that that to me was a problem. And, you know, Harvey's a strikeout guy. You'd like to see a strikeout in there somewhere. And uh, you did get the one at Diaz. That was true. But, um, you know, you did not see dominance from Harvey in that inning. But no doubt. I mean, he did not deserve to lose that game like that. The Nats, I think, in a lot of ways did not deserve to lose this game. Nats Chat is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Check out their selection of shorts and pants that come with the comfort of built-in liners. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? DC might not have been on the Taylor Swift circuit, but still plenty of other events in the nation's capital, such as the Ed Sheeran concert in a few weeks in Landover. That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets, and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 6-4-3 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Long hold, the kick and the pitch. Swing and a line drive toward the gap in right center field. This is going to get down and pass the diving Myers into the fence. Vargas to third, being waved home. Smith around second, heading for third. And he will make it without a play as Vargas scores. It's a triple to right center field for Dom Smith out of the reach of the diving Jake Myers, who then had to get up and chase the ball down. Bouncing on an angle away from the bullpen towards straightaway center field. And this game is all even here at the top of the ninth inning. With the go-ahead run at third. It's the Nationals four and the Astros four. So the shame is that this bottom of the ninth comes off the Nats rallying big time in the top of the ninth. A three-run top of the ninth rally by the Nats. As, by the way, the Astros completely fell apart in this inning. The rally started with a throwing error by Astros third baseman Alex Bregman, who airmailed a throw on what should have been a ground out by Joey Manessis. Then came Corey Dickerson with a big pinch RBI double off the right center field warning track to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-2. Then came a ground out by Capert Ruiz, advancing Dickerson to third. Then came another Astros error. Astros reliever Ryan Presley, a horrendous throw to home plate off a routine tapper off the bat of Ildemaro Vargas. Scoring on the play was Dickerson to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3. And then came Dominic Smith. Mr. Extra Base Hit, Dominic Smith. He had two extra base hits in this game. None bigger than this ninth inning, one-out, game-tying RBI triple to the right center field gap to tie the game at four. Now, The shame ended up being the pinch runner for Smith. Michael Chavis didn't score despite being on third base with one out. Uh, Luis Garcia pinch ground out. And then C.J. Abrams, a first pitch ground out on what actually was a close play at first base 
Jose Abreu, big bulky Astros first baseman Jose Abreu had to out-hustle Abrams to first base as Ryan Presley, maybe still thinking about that throwing error, was slow to get to first base, but Abrams ultimately was out. But a three-run top of the ninth rally by the Nationals. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff in there. And to be sure, there was a lot of stuff the Astros screwed up. And that's the only way that the entire rally was possible. The Presley play was just unexplainable. Here's the set. Presley delivers. Swing and a tapper back to the mound. Runner breaks for the plate. They're going to throw home. It's a bad throw to the backstop. Dickerson scores. And Vargas started towards second. Now changes his mind and goes back to first. Number one, did he even need to go for the out at the plate? You've got a, a sizable lead. Get the out at first. Your job there is just to get three outs and end the game. But that throw was just so off the mark. It was unbelievable. But good on Corey Dickerson for the big double. Good on Dom Smith, who also doubled in this game and then had the big triple. And it's actually turned into a kind of productive road trip for Dom Smith, including the towering home run in Atlanta. So that was good. But then the lack of execution with a chance to take the lead and really complete the rally, that was frustrating. You saw Davey. In that inning, pinch hit twice. We don't see him do this a lot. But Dickerson for Garrett, that one worked. Garcia for Call did not. Abrams, like you said, the first pitch ground out. All of that is frustrating because you have a chance with one out and the go-ahead run on third to really put a final stamp on it. And who knows how the rest of the inning might play out. I'm not going to use this as an excuse for Hunter Harvey, but I don't know when he started warming up. But if it wasn't until the triple that tied the game, that meant he did not have a lot of time to warm up because those were two quick outs after all that. The last point I'll make on this is the two pinch hitters, but also the pinch runner, Chavis pinch running for Smith. Now, I get why you do that. It's a potential sacrifice fly. You'd rather have Chavis running than Smith. But what it did do is it put Michael Chavis at first base in the bottom of the ninth. And here's why that was significant. On the big play in question, Dom Smith, a left-handed first baseman, sticking his right hand out with the glove, has a much easier target for Cabert Ruiz in fair territory to make that throw, as opposed to Michael Chavis, a right-handed first baseman who has to reach across his body to get that. I don't know if it would have made a difference or not, but it was one of the things I thought about. I understand I'm not disputing the reasoning for pinch running for him, but the domino effect was an inferior and right-handed first baseman in the game in the bottom of the ninth. That's a good point, but I think you know, you're trying to win the game. You put the speed of your guy on third. Of course. I can't fault Davey Martinez for that. So we had everything that happened in the ninth inning. Oh, by the way, also on Wednesday night was an outing by Josiah Gray that I actually thought ended up being pretty good. You know, it's funny with Josiah. He lately has been guilty of bad process, but had been getting pretty good results. I thought you almost had the opposite in this game. The process on Wednesday night was better. The results weren't necessarily great. Four runs in seven innings, but, you know, he lasted for seven innings. He only gave up six hits. Now, four of the six hits were extra base hits. He gave up two solo homers, two doubles, and two singles, but he had five strikeouts versus no walks. He threw a lot of strikes, 95 pitches, 66 strikes versus 29 balls. Gray in the bottom of the first allowed two runs on a one-out hit-by-pitch of Jose Altuve, a steal of second base by Altuve, a two-out opposite field Infield single by Kyle Tucker on a weekly hit grounder to C.J. Abrams and a two-out, two-run double by Jose Abreu to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 2-0 Astros lead. Gray in the bottom of the fourth allowed two runs on back-to-back one-out solo homers by Jose Abreu and Yair Diaz, each homer a bomb to left field, each homer a 400-foot-plus home run 
for a stat cast. So I don't want to paint a picture of like Josiah Gray was dominant or anything like that. But the no walks, very good. Five strikeouts, pretty good. And like I said, he only gave up six hits. He gave up the two homers. That hurt. But I didn't think Gray was that bad. What did you think? Yeah, I agreed. And most importantly, Josiah Gray agreed. I think he was more encouraged by this one than some of the previous ones when he gave up fewer runs. And he pointed out that he's kind of gotten to a point now where he's not going to let himself be consumed with the results. He does care about the process of how he got there. And the process was much, much better in this one. First time he did not issue a walk since last August. So almost a year since he had had a game like that. He got through the seven innings. And to be honest, may have been able to go to the eighth. And he's only at 95 pitches. In a different circumstance, you might even have seen him take the mound for the eighth inning. That's how efficient that he was. Yes, the home runs were bad. I thought one of them was a decent pitch. The second one, not so much. The first inning runs were partly after a weak grounder that turned into an infield single, so not entirely his fault. But yeah, I think he was actually really encouraged at how he threw strikes, how he mixed it up. Oh, and by the way, he added yet another pitch to his repertoire. He started throwing a sweeper for the first time and had a lot of success with it. And for those who don't know, a sweeper is different from a slider and different from a curveball and different from a cutter. It still moves right to left for a right-handed pitcher. It has more horizontal movement. It was thrown a few miles an hour below his slider speed. It was like 82, 83. He said it's something he had worked on in the bullpen recently, felt comfortable using it, and he used it a lot in this case. And look, we could talk about tinkering and whether it's too much to be throwing all these different types of pitches. But I think Josiah Gray is coming to realize that he is going to be successful in the big leagues because of deception, not because of overpowering hitters. And the best way for him to do that is to become Anibal Sanchez and have a complete arsenal of pitches to throw. I don't know if Cabert Ruiz has enough buttons on the pitch comm to call for all these different things, but he better figure out a way to do that because Josiah Gray has arguably now six or seven different pitches at his disposal. Boy, it seems like too much. It seems like paralysis by analysis, but you know what? The results are what matters, and you know he's learning. And so I would venture to say, long-term, that's probably not going to be how he does things, but you never know. You never know. I mean, here's the bottom line. 14 starts, ERA of 319. He's got the whip now down to 135. We all would have taken those numbers going into this season. You know, we're approaching the midway mark of the season. We're not there yet, but 14 starts. I mean, if you're saying over the course of 162, you make 30, 32 starts, well, 14 isn't that far from, you know, 16, 17 starts. So we're getting to a pretty meaningful point of the season. And he continues to have an ERA right around three. Now it's a little bit above. He's been good. I mean, it's not perfect and there are nits to pick. And, you know, as I've been talking about, the process had become a bit worrisome. You know, the progress is never linear with these guys, but like he's been pretty good. And, you know, seeing him last for seven innings, I thought was good on the road against a good team like this, especially off him giving up the four runs relatively early in the outing. I I wasn't expecting him to go for seven innings. And yet each inning, it kept being Josiah Gray back out there. He was pitching pretty well as the game went on. That might have been the best part of this whole thing that the guy pitched for seven innings at a good team in the Astros. Yeah, no, I agree. And I I think against that lineup in this ballpark, I think there's something to be said for that. And if you're able to take a step back and, and look at the overall progress and what's really important about this season for Josiah Gray, it's hard not to see the progress there and to understand that, yeah, like you said, it's not a straight linear path 
of improvement, but it is gradually getting there where it is improvement. And the hope would be in the second half of the season, he really starts to come into his own, understands what's working, what's not working, and kind of just figures out who he is as a starting pitcher in the big leagues. We've seen different versions of him, of who he's trying to be. Some things have worked, some things haven't. Some things have both worked and haven't worked on any given night. But I do think all of it ultimately is taking him on an upward path that hopefully by the end of the season leaves him in a good place that you say, hey, this guy is going to be a big part of this moving forward. He doesn't have to be their number one starter moving forward. Probably doesn't even have to be their number two starter moving forward based on what we think is going to happen with others. But if he is a consistently reliable middle of the rotation guy who gives him a chance and stays healthy, that's everything the Nationals want out of Josiah Gray. No doubt. And, you know, you just hit on something that is very important. And I'm going to say this while, you know, crossing both fingers and praising the baseball gods, but healthy. You know, he's coming off like someone who's durable. And you can't necessarily predict pitcher injury. But one thing we do know is that if you haven't been hurt previously, that's a pretty good indication that you might be one of these guys who doesn't get hurt often, if at all. And I think that's a sneaky, massive positive with Josiah Gray. This is year three for him pitching in the majors. There really isn't much of an injury history. I don't even know if there is any kind of an injury history with him, certainly at the major league level so far. Yeah, not at the major league level. I think he dealt with something very minor last year. I think he missed maybe one start because of it. But no, he keeps himself in good shape and he's got pretty good mechanics. And I, I think that is important. I agree. Especially, look, you'd love for your ace to be durable, but in a lot of ways, you almost need your middle rotation guys to be the ones you can count on every fifth day to take the ball. And if that's ultimately what he's going to be for them, and I think that's if they draw out their you know, ideal best case scenario in, in a year or two where they're going to be, I think that's what they think of him as. There's a lot to be said for a durable, reliable, effective number three starter. And that's kind of what he looks like he could be right now. So a few other things from this game. I mentioned Dom Smith, two extra base hits. Good to see that two for four. He had that game tying RBI triple. He also had a double. He and the Nats one run fifth, a leadoff double down the right field line. The only other Nat who had a multi-hit game on Wednesday night, Stone Garrett, once again, doing well against the lefty uh, Stone as the cleanup batter, in fact, for this game, two for three with a couple of singles. Interesting lineup. We had Jamer Candelario as the Nats' number two batter on Wednesday night with uh, Ildemaro Vargas as the Nats' uh, starting second baseman. And then he actually ended up moving to right field later in the game. And also, Jordan Weems, a perfect bottom of the eighth with the Nats coming back in the top of the ninth. The Weems' eighth actually ended up being pretty crucial, keeping the Nats in that game and allowing for that comeback opportunity in the top of the ninth. Yeah, and that was one of those spots we talked about. You're kind of in the game. You're not too far behind, but you are behind. Who do you want to go to there? I think that is a little bit of a show of faith in Weems to put him in that spot and good on him for putting together a good quality inning that at least set up the possibility of the late rally, which they did pull off. So we don't see Davey Martinez get ejected often. And it is true that game three of this series is not the usual afternoon game, but is in fact a night game. So there will be ample time for everyone to cool off. But do you think it's possible, especially if some early calls on Thursday night in game three of this series at the Astros do not go the Nats way, that we do see an eruption from Davey Martinez off what went down in the ninth inning on Wednesday night? But again, Davey keeps his cool for the most part, rarely gets tossed. But, I mean, he with you guys after the game was all over. The home plate umpire, Jeremy Riggs, the first base umpire, Brian Knight. Could we see ejection, Davey, come Thursday night, do you think? 
I think it would require a blown call. I don't think he's going to go out there with the intention of trying to get ejected or thinking that that's, you know, part of the plan for the game. But, you know, I wish Davey was the one who would take out the lineup card nightly. He doesn't usually do it. It is Tim Boger because that would be a very interesting meeting at the plate. And yeah, as far as the, the post-game session with us goes, I mean, everybody's seen the video now. You know, that's my hand holding the massive microphone to the side asking the first several questions. That was something. I have not seen that from him before. I did not know that he had the sheet of paper ready to go to hold up right there for the camera. Here it is. Here's the play. The only other time in my 19 seasons covering this team that resembled anything like that way back in 05, Frank Robinson, after Mike Stanton, who was in the building tonight because he does the Astros pre and post game, Mike Stanton in his Nats debut was called for a balk before ever throwing a pitch and it cost them the game. And in the clubhouse after the game, Frank Robinson was waiting for us with a still frame on the TV monitor of the moment that Mike Stanton was trying this pickoff throw. And before we could ask a question, he pointed to it, showed us what he saw, asked us what we all saw, and went off on it. And that's about the closest comp I have for what Davey did with the, he had the goods. Davey had the goods ready to go at my first question in the postgame. Take a good look at it. Is that on the line? I don't think so. I'm over this play. Well, it was an effective visual tool. There's no doubt about that. You can't dispute the photographic evidence. And it was a color photo. I mean, it wasn't just a photo. It was in color. I mean, how do you knock that? So good job by Davey and his staff in getting that out there like that. Well, wow, the Trey Turner rule. Trey Turner hasn't played for the Nats in two years. And yet still we invoke that phrase, the Trey Turner play. All right. Well, hit us up on Twitter. You tell us what you think at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We have a new website too, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a great-looking Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And you know, while we're in this mood of revisiting things from the 2019 World Series, uh, let's have another memory from October 2019 from a great supporter of the Nats Chat Podcast, Mason Kalfas. Hi, this is Mason Kalfas sharing my 2019 Nats playoff run memories. There are so many that I have that I'm sure will, will stay with me until I'm dead. Obviously, just incredible moments, the Kendrick home runs, and the Soto single one. I, I, I ran into Soto in a restaurant, actually, in the middle of the playoffs after uh, right before NL, the NLDS Game 3, which was pretty cool. But one thing that was also very cool, at World Series Game 5, you know, we were all dejected. It was like, oh, my God, we had this World Series in our hand, and now we've blown it. And I saw Carl Ravitch at the game uh, down on Nats, Nats Park on the field, and I said, Carl, you know, I was trying to feel positive, and I said, Carl, we're going to win the next one. I'm going to fly to Houston and we're going to win it, and I'll see you in Houston. And he, he just sort of laughed at me, you know, like everyone thinks the Nats are dead right now. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Obviously, we won game six. I flew down to Houston for game seven. And on the field, right by the dugout, when all the Nats fans had sort of gathered around and were cheering and going crazy while the Nats celebrated, I saw Carl again. I said, hey, Carl, you remember me? I'm the guy from, from D.C. that said we were going to win this thing, and I'll see you in Houston. 
and he gave me like a, a good look, you know, hey, yeah, I totally remember you. Uh, he might he might have been uh, BSing me a little bit, but but that was a fun moment that I'll always remember. And uh, what what a run! Just reliving all these memories is helping all of us get through the kind of lean years. And hopefully, we'll be back to some great playoff run memories and, and beyond. As the Nationals are a strike away from franchise history and some World Series history, as Hudson tries to close it out, it'll be another three-two pitch to Michael Brantley. Hudson sets. The kick in, here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! The celebration is on! The Washington Nationals are the world champions!